afternoon, brothers and sisters, visitors, and those joining us online, a hearty welcome to you all. What a wonderful blessing that we may gather for a second time today in worship of our triune God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds towards our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and cause us to bring praise to him in this worship service and also in the weeks ahead. Consisting of the following announcements, following the election of office bearers, Consistia has appointed to the office of Deacon Brothers Renier de Vries and Colin Klein, and to the office of Elder Brothers Wickpock, Warner Spiker, Clark Van Dyke, and Reuben Sandman. If no lawful objections are raised prior to the 14th of November, the ordination will take place, the Lord willing, on Sunday the 27th of November in the morning service. The following baptised brothers and sisters have requested to publicly profess their faith and so receive admission to the Holy Supper. Janelle de Brom, Jed de Vos, Melanie de Vos, Brooklyn Klein, Dylan Kramer, Stacey Oldenberger, Noah Flater, David Poppy, Nicholas Fox, Bianca Ross, Liam Scoot and Cameron Visser. Having considered their motives as well as their knowledge of scripture and confessions, Consistory resolves with thankfulness to the Lord to grant these requests. If no lawful objections are brought forward prior to the 31st of October, the profession of faith will take place, the Lord willing, on Sunday the 6th of November in the morning service, with the venue being the Lumen Christi College in Martin. You are reminded that the Seek Wisdom organisation is hosting a Deacon's Conference tomorrow evening commencing at 5.30pm in the Pre-Reformed Church of Byford. The annual church visit to our constituent deacons, as appointed by classes, is scheduled for Thursday the 27th of October. And you are reminded that Classic North is scheduled for Friday the 28th of October. The annual general meeting for us as Pre-Reformed Church of Southern River is scheduled for next week, Monday the 31st of October at 8pm in this building. This afternoon, we may welcome to the pulpit Reverend Paul, Minister of our sister church in Mandaguyong. And before we commence worship, let's join our voices together and sing from King 9, verse 1. rise and worship the Lord.
We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord's greeting in the words of Psalm 33, stanzas 1 and 4. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Let us therefore confess our undoubted faith in our triune God, and we do so in the words of the Apostles' Creed as it's put to rhyme and to music and hymn too.
Let's pray. Gracious God, we've gathered here this afternoon as your people. We confess that you are the Holy One, the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is, who was, who is to come, who is from eternity. None has ever been before you. You alone are the Creator. You alone are Almighty. And you, all things live and move and have their being. And outside of you, there is nothing. So we confess our smallness, our inadequacy, our sinfulness, our limitations. Even the best among us is only a moment in time. Even our highest aspirations and our greatest desires do not match up to the righteousness that you set before us and to which you call us. And yet we come here this afternoon not to confess our own inadequacy, although that is real, but to confess your grace, to confess your goodness, to confess your kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For in him is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In you there is adoption. Through the Spirit our hearts respond. And then we are made worthy. We are made adequate for we are your children. And as your children we may be free in our prayers to you. We may enter into your presence with joy. With the true and certain knowledge that you hear. And that your righteousness is also our righteousness that we derive it from you and that is breathtaking for you are the God who treasures righteousness you treasure your image as you see it forming in us as we become all that you intend for us to be and you call us to live according to your righteousness so we pray that that righteousness would more and more become evident in our lives that what you say we are is something to which we could also live up. We pray that as your righteous children, we would also hear your words. Father, we give thanks for all of the blessings of life. For compared to eternity, our lives might be very short. But they are the beginning of eternity. They are our the place where we experience our relationship with you and become aware of you for the first time. And in this life there are so many blessings. Among those blessings of life and of fellowship with you, we consider the privilege of sharing your word together. We give thanks for the league day that took place yesterday. By all accounts it was a great success and we thank you that your word was Proclaimed that it was 
explained, that it was shared, that it was discussed, that it was debated, that it was understood, that it was edifying, that you have given us that gift of, of mothers and of daughters and of women in a congregation who wanted to take that Saturday to hear what you had to say to them, what your word had to say to them, and we give thanks for the capable explanation of that. We give thanks as well that this past Friday, candidate Rodney Dembour could sustain his exam. We give thanks for your work in his life, and we pray that he would be able now to, to fulfill his calling as preacher of the gospel, beginning with his ordination. We pray that you would guide him in his ministry, that you would keep him, that you would make your face shine upon him, that he could share the good news with us week after week with his congregation and, and with us here as well when we see him on the exchanges. We also give thanks for the other event on Friday. My brother and sister Hank and Ann Hovink could celebrate their 55th wedding anniversary. What a precious thing you have given to them, 55 years of married life together. And Lord, surely they would be the first to acknowledge that that those 55 years were also not years which passed without sin, that they too had to grow in their relationship together, but that you brought them to that point where now they can look back on 55 years of your sanctifying work also through their marriage. We give thanks for that. We praise their name. We give thanks together with them, and we pray that you would bless the years that remain to them and also all marriages in our midst. For marriage can be a crucible. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. But above all, it is in marriage that we learn about grace in ways that, that are unique. And we pray, Lord, that each and every married person here would also use their marriage as an opportunity to, to, be, to embrace the sanctification that you give to us in our walk of faith. Father, as we open your word now, we pray that you would make it clear to us. And as that word is taught through the catechism, we pray that we would understand, hear us, and have grace and compassion towards us. We pray these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Let us now open the word of God as it comes to us in Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 15 to the end of the chapter. This is in connection with our study of Lord's Day 33 this afternoon on the true repentance and conversion of man. We're going to consider that and Galatians 2 verse 15 to 21 will give us some focus. So here we read as follows. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So far, let us now sing from Psalm 130, stanzas 1, 2, and 4.
I invite you to turn with me to Lord's Day 33 of the Catechism, which summarizes the basic teachings of Scripture concerning repentance and conversion. We're going to examine those this afternoon. Lord's Day 33, page 549. Here we read as follows, What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin, and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely one of the most striking things about our catechism is the way that it has been put together. The structure of our catechism is quite unique. Sin and misery, deliverance, thankfulness, the three parts, or as you may have sometimes heard it explained, sin, salvation, and service. And today we're considering Lord's Day 33 on repentance. If you would have written the catechism, where would you have put that? Where would you put the section on repentance? We might have put it after the section on sin very early on in the catechism, back in the beginning, we would probably frame repentance in negative terms. We would think it's, it's a turning away from the bad. So, so first you explain what sin is, and then right after that you explain repentance. This is how you do it. We would probably not have put repentance in the section on thankfulness or service. But the writers of the Catechism did. They put it in the section on service, the section on works, good works, how we live a life of thankfulness. You could even say that repentance is a good work. It, mo it comes out of thankfulness and moves towards thankfulness. And that's a little bit maybe counterintuitive to us once you start to actually think about that. But it's true. Genuine repentance leads to genuine thankfulness. And that's also what we will consider this afternoon. Genuine repentance leads to genuine thankfulness. And we'll, 
we'll see that this thankfulness comes in two forms. Thankfulness for what God has done for me and thankfulness for what God has done in me. So if you consider the order of the catechism, the section on justification comes earlier in the catechism, in Lord's Day 23. So in terms of of how these things happen in the Christian life, as far as the catechism is concerned, justification has already happened. That's why we have the section on thankfulness now. And if you remember, what is justification? Justification is to be declared righteous by God. Justification is a legal declaration that all of the demands of the law have been satisfied with respect to the sinner. So justification is something that happens outside of us. It is something that is said about us by God. How does that work? How is a person justified? Well, says Paul, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. What are works of the law? Works of the law are simply what God requires from us. And, and we understand that, right? We understand that a person is not justified by works of the law. We know we're Reformed people. We know that you cannot earn your own salvation. But what we sometimes forget is that you cannot keep your own salvation either. There have been people who have thought that you're saved by grace, and then you stay saved by works. Or you get into the covenant by grace, you stay in the covenant by works. But the fact is, Paul says, there's nothing that you can do to accomplish what only God can do. He makes a point in Galatians 3 verse 10 when he says, For all who rely on works of the law are cursed. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the work, the book of the law, and do them. He makes that point very strongly, and he does that here as well. In our reading, Verse 17 of our reading is a little bit complicated in terms of its, its wording, but it ties into his main point. He says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So what does he mean by that? Well, He's saying if Christ is calling us to be justified through faith in him, is he not then also calling us to live without the law? Is he not putting people in a position where they are sinners? In other words, how can you be saved if you don't keep the law of God, is what what Paul is asking here. And it's a key question, isn't it? Uh, A key point in biblical doctrine is that you are saved by grace. But what does a Christian life look like after you're saved? What does it look like after you're justified? And for some of Paul's readers, it meant going back to the law. They thought life as a Christian was about faith. Faith means that you keep God's law and you believe in Christ in that order. But Paul is saying, look, you can't have it both ways in the Christian life. You cannot say that you are saved by grace and then go back to works again. For your day-to-day life. He says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down. I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words. If I leave the law to go to Christ. I cannot go back to the law again. I cannot be saved by works. And listen carefully. That includes the work of repentance. In a way you could say that repentance is a good work as well. Isn't it? 
the whole dying of the old nature, the coming to life of the new, is about repentance. But repentance, in and of itself, is not what saves you. Instead, we're justified by faith in Christ. In the words of Belgian Confession, Article 22, we do not mean that faith as such justifies us, for faith is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Faith is the instrument that keeps us with him in the communion of all his benefits. So we are justified by faith in Christ, says Paul, but that means we're justified by Christ. Faith is just the way in which we hear the gospel. Christ, says Paul, has died for me. But that is not all. I have died as well. He says in verse 19, I died to the law. What does that mean? Well, through faith he identifies with Christ who was cursed. Remember Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In other words, when Christ was crucified, he was cursed. He bore the punishment for sins. Paul identifies himself with Christ through, through faith. You could say that when Christ was crucified, Paul was crucified with him, in him. When Christ died, Paul died as well. Not literally, but, but, but so to speak. Because Christ was cursed, Paul was cursed in him. And so in verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And what he means is that his sins, Paul's sins, my sins, your sins were paid for as surely as if we ourselves had died. So you might wonder, what does all of this have to do with Lord's Day 33? Well, it means that the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new happen in the lives of people who are already justified. The sins have already been forgiven. This is a really important point. If we talk about a love and delight to do good works, we need to make this clear in our own mind. Our repentance and our best works cannot take away or add anything to what Christ has done. And that includes our repentance. See, if you, if you repent, if you do what Lord's Day 33 tells you to do in order to um, find your way back to God, then, then you've missed the point, the whole point of the gospel. Then you're taking away from God's grace. You're basically saying Christ didn't need to die. And on some level, we, we probably do that sometimes. Right? If you think about repentance, you, you try to ascribe some sort of a value to repentance. Maybe you feel that you need to think a particular way or have particular emotions for a particular length of time and then you can be sure that you've fully repented. And then you can be sure that you're fully accepted again by God. We, we might not always articulate it that way, but in the back of our mind somehow, isn't it true that we feel that way sometimes? And it misses the point because repentance is always a response to what Christ has done for us. It's not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's not about any of that. Think about what the Catechism says. Repentance begins with grieving with a heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sins and more and more to hate it and flee from it. But how do you quantify that? How, how do you measure the degree to which you have offended God by our sins? How, how do you understand that? 
How do you measure that? And if you can't fully understand that, measure it or quantify it, then, then are, you, are you really repenting? You see, can you really repent enough to, to work your way back into the Father's favor? And the answer to that, of course, is no. But, but consider the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And we've all heard this story before. A man had two sons. The younger son asked his father for his share of the inheritance. Then he traveled abroad. He spent it all in wild living. Eventually he comes to his senses and he repents. He decides he will return to his father. And he, he makes up this whole speech that he rehearses in his mind. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now maybe you've never noticed this before, but he is actually still trying to go back to the father on his own terms, isn't he? He's got it all worked out in his mind. I, I will go back and I will be a part of my father's household again as a servant. So he wants to return on his own terms. He's on the right track. We're not saying that this was a, a false repentance. He's on the right track, but he has not understood grace. He wants to come back as a servant. He wants to be in the household on the basis of his works. He wants his repentance to be the grounds on which he's received again. And not the Father's grace. Do you, do you see? He's hoping that somehow... This, this speech will make him more acceptable to his father. He doesn't realize, of course, that his father's been waiting for him every day. That his father yearned to have him back even before he made that speech. But doesn't it work that way in our own, own life sometimes? Don't we sometimes think of grace as something that we accept on our own terms or, or maybe even try to have some form of control over? But that's not what biblical repentance is about at all. Biblical repentance comes out of an understanding of the gospel. And the gospel is never about what I have done. The gospel is not about what I am doing. The gospel is not about what I intend to do. In fact, the gospel in some ways is not about me at all. Well, it, it is on one level, but I'm not in the center of the gospel. In the center of the gospel is Christ. The gospel is about what Christ has done. About how I am to be thankful for that. And that thankfulness is behind Lord's Day 33. You should remember that. When you read about dying and coming to life and sorrow, it's easy to overlook the fact that, that there is a, a deep joy behind this, a deep gratitude, a deep thankfulness. Thankfulness for what God has done for me and thankfulness for what God has done in me. And that's our, our second point. So one of the things that you, um, one of the things that, about Lord's Day 33 is that it assumes not only justification, but also regeneration. Right? Re regeneration is, justification is something that God says about us. Regeneration is something that, that the Holy Spirit does within us. And you cannot have the dying of the old nature or the coming to life of the new without regeneration. Regeneration is the new life implanted by the Holy Spirit. You can hear it in the word. Regeneration. 
To generate means to produce. To regenerate means to begin producing again. So when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, we become spiritually alive. We, we become spiritually aware. We become spiritually aware of God, of who He is. We become unable to respond to Him. That's regeneration. And why do people need regeneration? Because our first life, our first spiritual life was lost. Remember Adam and Eve had spiritual life. They knew the Lord. They knew who He was. They had the image of God in them. You remember those words from Lord's Day 33 that God created man good and in his image that is in true righteousness and holiness so that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. So Adam and Eve had that life. They had that communion with God. That's what it means to be spiritually alive. And when they, they sinned, they lost all of that. God promised them on the day that they sinned they would die. And he meant not only physical death, but also spiritual death. And so what they lost, they could not regain on their own. One um, helpful analogy that, um, that I came across was a candle. Imagine that you're in a candle, that you, not that you're in a candle, that you hold a candle and you're in a dark room. And uh, you drop the candle by accident and it goes out. And you have no matches with you. So, so the, candle, the candle can go out, but you're not able to light it again. And that's how it was for Adam and Eve. They, the, they lost their life, but they could not regain it apart from God. And you think of what a disaster that was. Mankind lost its spiritual life. That was a thing keeping us in communion with God. And we lost it. But in regeneration, the Holy Spirit... He begins his work in the human soul. He calls the human soul back to life. And now you can see what repentance looks like in someone's life, but you cannot see regeneration. That's a mystery. Canons of Dort chapter 3, 4, article 12 says, It is a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. According to scripture, inspired by the author of this work, regeneration is not inferior in power to creation and the raising of the dead. Hence all those in whose hearts God works in this amazing way are certainly, unfailingly, and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. So in regeneration we receive new inclinations. We receive new dispositions. We receive new sensitivities. We become sensitive to spiritual things. And this is not something that spiritually dead people can develop on their own. The new life begins to spread from the inside out, but from beginning to end, it is a work of God. So, when you look at it from that perspective, do you understand that you cannot say that God gives us the beginning of new life and now it's up to us to, to make it continue? Rather, in our regeneration, we receive the Holy Spirit because His life is in, is in us. We have new inclinations and then we are unable to repent. But it can take a while for that sometimes to show, show itself in our lives. right? And the, the catechism reflects that too, doesn't it? The dying of the old nature, the coming to life of the new. right? Those are, those are progressive, ongoing things. It's a little bit like driving a car down the Quinana Freeway. If you're going 100 kilometers in one direction, 100 kilometers an hour, and you want to go in the opposite direction, you don't. 
crank over your wheel. Right? It doesn't work that way. You wouldn't be able to turn around that fast. Instead, you find an off-ramp, you go over the overpass, and then you merge again going in the opposite direction. It takes time. There's a process involved there. And um, that's how it works with us in repentance as well. So what is repentance? There are, there are two uh, words actually uh, used in the New Testament that explain that. And uh, the one word means to, literally means to change your mind, to feel sorry for something, to change your mind about it. And the second word means to turn back. So the first word pertains to our thoughts and the second to our behavior. And you need both of those in order to repent. Repentance is never that you uh, continue to live in a particular way and that you know in your mind that it should probably be different, but you continue in one direction anyway. That's not true repentance. And it also doesn't mean that you do the right thing, that you continue in the right direction, but your mind is actually not in it. That's not true repentance either. You see what what an integrated thing this is, repentance. It involves our whole, our whole heart, soul, and mind. If you try to change your behavior when your mind is not right, it's like trying to drive with your brakes on. You get lots of smoke, lots of tire marks, but you're not going to go forward very much. So regeneration and repentance are, are two sides of the same coin. That's true. Repentance means... Regeneration means that the root of repentance is there. Repentance means that the fruit of regeneration is visible. But the point in the end is that true regeneration will always produce true repentance. And our reading reflects that in verse 20. A very striking verse, worth reading again. Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the point of dying with Christ was not, not to stay dead, so to speak. It was instead to live for Christ. Christ has given us his life. He's made us spiritually alive, and now we live for him. And um, you see that reflected in this passage. Here's something for the kids to try count how many times Paul uses the word live in this passage. Ultimately, repentance is about life. This is why Christ died for us, so that we can live for him. That's what repentance is about. It's about living for Christ. But at the same time, repentance is something in which the Holy Spirit guides us. How does he do that? Well, the primary means is the preaching of the word. The word convicts us of sin. The word exposes us. The word, says Hebrews 4 verse 12, is like a sword. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word has an amazing effect in our lives. But the word comes in a context. It comes in the context of the home that you grew up in, the church you go to, the friends who surround you. Those are all different ways in which the Word has an impact in your life. And all of those things can play their role in getting you to a point where you become repentant. But it takes time. Repentance is hard. The Catechism says it involves our emotions. Grieving that we have offended God. Hating sin. 
having a love and delight to live according to the will of God and all good works. It's this emotive language. And those are, those are things that grow on you over time. In fact, repentance never ends. Sometimes when we sin, it doesn't bother us much now. And it bothers us a lot more later when we become more spiritually mature. Sometimes you look back on situations or conversations maybe that you had. Things that you said. Years later you think back, they, they play through your mind. Maybe they play on your mind. And, and you realize even more deeply what the catechism says here. You realize that God was very offended with your sin. More offended than you realized at the time. And you, you hate it more and more. Sometimes it can feel like you're repenting all over again. That does not mean that God loved you any less. When you repented less, so to speak. We've already seen very clearly repentance is not something that you do to earn God's love. It is not something you do to earn God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness, God's love are unconditional. They're freely given to us in Jesus Christ. That never changes, but what does change is the way that you respond to it. As we continue living out of our regeneration, we continue to grow in spiritual maturity. We continue to produce fruits of repentance. We continue to grow in our love for the Lord. We continue to grow in our hatred of sin. We continue walking towards God, so to speak. Remember that the second word for repentance was to turn around. The idea is of someone who's walking in one direction, but then turns around and goes in the opposite direction. And that is not a one-time process. It is a lifetime process. Abram Kuyper once said, you can turn away from sin. You can turn away from sin, so to speak, but still stand very close to it. And very far from God. So repentance always has to be an ongoing process. It's an ongoing thing in your life. It comes out of a changed mind. It leads to a changed life. And change is something that by very definition is ongoing. Turning away from sin and turning towards God. So from that perspective, it actually makes perfect sense to put Lord's Day 33, the section on repentance, here in the catechism. Remember, we saw at the beginning that that wasn't necessarily intuitive, but it actually makes sense because what comes after this? What comes after Lord's Day 33? Lord's Day 34. The Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you turn towards God. You turn away from all other things. You could say that the first commandment is the first step of repentance in that sense. Find your life in God. To have the old nature die off no matter what it takes. They shall have no other gods before me. It's absolute, uncompromising, challenging, stark. Dying is painful. Dying to the old nature is painful. But it's not as painful as the death that Christ died on the cross. Because he truly died in the fullest sense of the word. He died carrying the punishment for all the sins that we leave behind. And so we can be thankful and grieve with heartfelt sorrow at the same time. And we can be thankful at the love and delight that we experience in living according to the will of God. So genuine repentance always leads to genuine thankfulness and it's something deep it involves a lot of emotions. 
So many people, mainly outside of the church, but sometimes even inside the church, think that Christianity is about being a good person or about bettering yourself or about some sort of a moral improvement. Nothing could be further from the truth. People who think that Christianity is about being a good person have missed the point completely. Repentance is not about making ourselves more holy. We already are holy. We already are holy now. Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Repentance is not about being a good person. It is about doing good works. Because Christ has begun a good work in me. So his good works are my good works for me to do. Prepared in advance. Every day he causes the dying of my old nature, the coming to life of the new. And what he has begun, he will also complete. Amen.
Let's give thanks. Gracious God, we give thanks to you for all that you have done. You are the God who works in history, you work in time, you work in the hearts and lives of men, women, and children. You have justified us. You have justified your people. We're so thankful for justification. We're so thankful for what you have said about us. We're so thankful that you declare your people blameless in Christ. We're thankful also for what you do in us. That you have regenerated us. That you grant us the gift of conversion. That you enable us to undergo the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. Let us embrace this. To see it for what it is. And we pray that you would help us in our struggle against sin. We pray that you would enable us to grow in our understanding of the right priorities in life. So much of our life is lived in confusion, fog, ignorance. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see. We still have so much growing to do. And every time we think that we have arrived, we are in danger. Help us to submit our entire life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We pray as well that the gospel, the true gospel of grace would be preached throughout the world today. And that even after we have gone to sleep, that from time zone to time zone, others will step in and praise their name. That this would be a prelude to the day when you will gather all of your people together and your praise will never end and we will see in ways that we have never seen before. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Enable us to go into this week with clear vision and continue your good work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. This afternoon we have an opportunity to give our gifts to the Lord. And as we do so, we do so with these words of Romans 10 in mind as we continue reading from Romans. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Let us then give generously to support the work of mission in PNG so that the gospel and those who preach it can be sent among many who have not heard or understood. After the offering has been gathered, let us sing from Psalm 66, 4, 5, and 6 in closing.
receive the blessing of the Lord and go into your week in his service. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.